Well, welcome to Mayflower Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. Mayflower is a place where we believe that faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all humanity. We're so happy you're here with us, whether you're joining us here in the sanctuary or via live stream. Welcome, welcome. If you're here and you're on the aisle, I hope you know what to do to find that friendship register and sign it and pass it along. And for those of you joining us virtually, you have a friendship register, too, online, and we'd love for you to fill that in. Uh, We hope you notice the prayer cards. They're not new anymore. We've had them for several weeks now, if you find them in the pew rack. If you would like prayer this morning as part of our congregational prayer, you can fill that in. If you have a prayer request or a praise you'd like to put on our weekly prayer list, you can fill that in as well. And the ushers will collect those during our middle hymn. Additionally, if you would simply like personal prayer this morning, I will be available after the postlude up front and am very happy to pray with you this morning. Speaking of prayer, please keep the Wickman family in your prayers this week as they are mourning the passing of Ardeth Wickman, a very dedicated and longtime member of Mayflower. A little note for those of you who might be driving around Mayflower tomorrow and wondering about our upper parking lot. It's had some ailments as of late, but tomorrow it's going to be repaired. So if you are coming to church, please avoid the upper parking lot. As always, we hope you find interesting things in the bulletin uh, regarding what's happening around Mayflower. And Allison Houlihan is going to come forward. There's Allison. And share with us an event happening next week. Good morning. Next Sunday afternoon, we are hosting our first ever trunk or treat at Mayflower. What is a trunk or treat, you might ask? Think of it as a college football tailgate, but with better costumes and fewer arrests. (laughs) Trunk or treat is a festive, anticipatory time spent with friends, before the big game of trick-or-treating. Some of us will jazz up our cars with decorations. Some will come with their faces painted. But all will receive treats from trunks of cars parked here in the Mayflower parking lot, and we'll celebrate this fun holiday together. From 2 until 4, we're going to park in the middle lot and hand out treats from our trunks to all our Mayflower ghosts and goblins. We'd love for you to join us. Thank you, Allison. This week at midweek, we have a very special workshop featuring Susan Lafferty. She's a Mayflower member and a college application coach. She'll provide practical tips based on years of helping students with a college application process. So if you know anyone who has a high school student who's trying to navigate this arduous process, Please let them know. Maybe you're a grandparent of a student, and you'd like to be up on all the details. Uh, Susan is certainly an expert, and we are thrilled she's going to be with us Wednesday night at 6. So please plan on being here. We have so many fun things happening around here. It's actually quite overwhelming. Uh, And I will say the joy is infectious. So in this spirit of infectious joy, please welcome our moderator, Susan Jones. 
Thank you, Ruth, and good morning, everyone. My name is Susan Jones. I'm your moderator for this year at Mayflower Church. And I'm standing in today for Barbara Holman, who's out of town. She's our stewardship chair this year and doing an extraordinary job. It's a pleasure for me to be speaking to you as we kick off the 2021-22 stewardship campaign, particularly because Mayflower is at such an important step in our journey as a church leaping forward after COVID. We Christians believe that everything we have is a gift from God. At Mayflower, we've been blessed over the years with a gorgeous sanctuary built by church leaders more than 60 years ago. They dedicated themselves to the work and growth of Mayflower Church. They were on a journey back then, and we are on one today. Just as important and instrumental for the long-term success of our church. It's been an incredible 18 months since our sanctuary closed due to COVID. We miss seeing each other on Sundays and during the week. A reduced COVID budget, reduced programming, and a one-time federal paycheck protection program loan that was forgiven allowed us to keep our dedicated and hardworking staff with us and the church reaching out to the congregation online. John White, Ruth Bell Olson, and now Steve Armfield provide inspirational sermons to lead us forward. We've been blessed, and now we can be a blessing to our church and community. Mayflower is rising back to the dynamic success of 2019 prior to COVID. We are seeing nearly 60 children from toddlers to high school gathering in choirs, Sunday school, and youth groups. Even more Bible studies than pre-COVID are flourishing. The congregation is back in our sanctuary with healthy care for everyone's safety, and we continue our online services as well. We're grateful that you are with us. If you're still online, we invite you to come back to our sanctuary and greet your friends. Join us and feel the energy. With extravagantly generous giving by church members and friends dedicated to the growth of Mayflower and her community impact, we will raise $1.1 million and return Christian outreach to 15% of our financial commitments and gifts for 2022. How can you join us on this journey? Think about how God has blessed you and your family in these extraordinary times. Then decide how you will be a blessing in response. You should have received a letter from Barbara Holman and me this week, along with a commitment card estimate of giving in 2022, and you will continue to see, receive letters over the next few weeks with different themes to tell you about our stewardship campaign and how you can be a part of it. Please prayerfully complete the card and return it to Mayflower by Thanksgiving, or complete the form online at mayflowerchurch.org. In the meantime, you'll hear from some truly dedicated members speaking from this lectern over the next few weeks on how they've been blessed at Mayflower and how they intend to be a blessing in response. Thank you. to highlight a couple things uh, that are in your bulletin that uh, 
speak specifically to instrumentalists. So uh, next Monday, a week from tomorrow, we will be dedicating our Bösendorfer piano that's been in the atrium for a year now, uh, featured in many of our videos on YouTube, and now we finally get to hear it live. So I hope that you will all join us next Monday at 7 p.m. for that wonderful program of Johannes Brahms' chamber music. Also, um, thinking about Christmas and, and Christmas carol singing, uh, we're going to have what I believe is the first carol sing at Mayflower. If I am not correct, please let me know if you've been around a while and know that we've done this before. I would like to know. Uh, what we're doing is calling anyone and everyone who plays a musical instrument, whether you've played it all your life, whether you've played it for just a year, um, whether you're a professional or an amateur or a student, we want you to come join an instrumental ensemble that will rehearse uh, the last Monday in November. We're, we're, we were aiming for at least 20 players. We have already about 15 committed. So um, if we have 30 or 40, that's even better. And, um, and it's the band or the orchestra or the ensemble, whatever we want to call it, woodwinds, strings, brass, percussion, keyboard, uh, maybe even ukulele, I don't know, harp, guitar, anything. Um, Terry Zioman will be directing. And if you're not quite confident and not sure if you want to be a part of it, Terry is willing to rehearse with you to give you some private instruction so uh, that everyone's ready for the rehearsal at the end of November. And then everyone else is invited to come and sing favorite Christmas carols uh, accompanied by this instrumental ensemble. And we'll wrap up that evening with hot chocolate and cookies. So it will be a wonderful way to begin our December here at Mayflower. About today, um, I'm so happy to have the middle schoolers and high schoolers with us, not just singing, but also ringing bells. And we also have Hope Orban playing the flute. So grateful for your talents. Um, and also Samantha, who will be leading our call to worship. Her name is there, but then it says she's a pastor. I don't think she's gone to seminary yet, but um, she will be leading us in the call to worship, and I invite you to respond in the bold text when that time comes.
Please join me in our call to worship from Psalm 145 by responding together with the words in bold. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. One generation shall laud your works to another. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed. And we will declare your grace. Let's pray together. Dear and holy God, our creator and deliverer, we praise you this morning, and our hearts are full of gratitude that we can come together in worship. So please transform our hearts today as we sing, pray, and meditate on your word as well as the message of the sermon. Remove any scales from our eyes as you bring us closer into relationship with each other and with you. Amen.
I'd like to invite all the children worshiping with us to come forward for the children's message. So, if you woke up in the morning and your parents gave you a choice of what to have for breakfast for your cereal, would you choose this jar of cereal or would you choose this jar? Yeah, me too. Me too. So we're going to use our two jars of cereal to represent two different things. This jar of cereal is going to represent life on earth. Sometimes our days can be kind of blah, can't they? Where bad things happen or we're sad or someone gets sick or just blah, you know? But then... God loves us so much that he gave us his spirit. And so our marshmallows are going to represent God's spirit. So this is going to be, will you hold our breakfast spoon? Here's your spoon. Here's our breakfast bowl. All right. So we get up in the morning. We woke up late. And then our dog ate our favorite slipper. And then your one friend that you really like, she, uh, she didn't say hi to you as you were walking into school. But then God's spirit comes. And he gives us things like rainbows. He gives us a puppy that even though he ate our slipper, he gives us a lick on the way out. And so then God's spirit gets to intertwine and be a part of all of the blah of our day. It is lucky charms. And so then every day, your scoop of life has the everyday pieces that are kind of blah, but God's spirit. And who among you likes lucky charms? Me too. It's just enough, isn't it? So uh, next time you eat Lucky Charms, not today, you remember that God's love and his spirit is intertwined in all of our days and all of our moments. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we're thankful that your spirit is here with us while we are on earth. We're thankful for double rainbows and puppy kisses and all of your gloriousness that intertwines with all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, I am going to dismiss all of you to go with Mrs. Orban downstairs to Bible Beginnings and Bible Alive.
Good morning. Today's reading continues in the book of Acts. We will be reading from chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And for those that would wish to follow along, it may be found in your pew Bible on page 777. Beginning with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners and take them to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, the Lord answered. Lord told him, go to the house of Judas, Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias. Come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority for the chief priest to arrest all those in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. Then Ananias went to the house. He entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from his, fell from his eyes, and he could see again. He got up. He was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. We have been journeying through the book of Acts in the New Testament in this fall season up until the Advent season. And Advent is just after today, four Sundays away, uh, which is a bit startling when you think about it. So we're going to hit some high points in, in this um, wonderful book of Acts, asking the question, why church, as we have been in these last weeks. Now, we're making a bit of a jump today from Acts chapter 4 to Acts 9 in the text that was read for us. So let me give just a brief summary 
uh, of those chapters that we're kind of skipping over uh, as we go through this book. From Acts 4 to Acts 9, I think it could be put under the umbrella of the church struggles. It's growing, but it is facing um, conflict and struggle externally and internally. Externally, the opposition begins to mount now from the Jewish sector. Um, Rome, the Romans, who had the real authority in this occupied land, they were rather indifferent to this new movement. They, they really didn't know what was going on. They thought it was just another stirring among those obnoxious Jewish people. They weren't paying attention, but the Jewish leaders were. And by the time we come to Acts chapter 9, this external opposition has grown red hot. But there's also trouble internally. Interesting. Complaints have arisen from within the church. Imagine that. People in church complaining. But it's happening. But it wasn't about worship styles or dollars and cents or even buildings. It was about the distribution of food, of aid, specifically to the widows. One group of widows in that early church were Greek-speaking, Hellenized, as it were. And they're feeling left out. We should say Greek by the first century now has become the language of the world after Alexander the Great's conquest 300 years earlier. And many people are adopting um, the Greek culture in Jerusalem and all around the world. But there were also those who did not accept or adapt or take on the Greek language in, in any way at all. And the Hebrew-speaking widows are getting preferential treatment in the eyes of some in the distribution of food uh, to those in need. And it becomes a significant problem. And as, you know, conflicts and struggles within the church, it, it's rather draining. And the apostles said, what are we going to do about this? And, well, their answer was to form a board, which sounds kind of familiar. We still do that today, don't we? So they formed a board of deacons who would concentrate on this matter, and the apostles would go on with their teaching and, and preaching. Uh, they establish a board of deacons, and the best known of those deacons is a man by the name of Stephen. You've heard of him. Stephen offends not the church, but the Jewish leaders. And they drag him before the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme court of the Jewish people, who, by the way, have no right to inflict capital punishment. The Romans kept that power to themselves. And in Stephen's case, they will exercise a power that they do not rightly have. Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, preaches. He preaches a long sermon attacking their view of the sacred temple. And it's actually the longest message in the New Testament. And they drag him out and they stone him. To which I say, yikes, I hope you don't do that if the sermon gets too long. So Stephen becomes 
the first martyr in the church. His message is most of Acts chapter 7. And down in verse 58 it says, They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul will become Paul, the apostle. And in the message today, I'm probably going to mix those names up, but it's the same person. So if we say Paul, if we say Saul, same guy. Chapter 8 opens with this statement, and Saul approved. Saul was a willing accomplice to their killing of Stephen. So persecution breaks out, and the church begins to scatter. Saul is the chief prosecutor, like Jobert in Les Miserables. And chapter 9 opens in the text that Harold read. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, that's the Jewish, the highest Jewish official, to get papers so he could go uh, the hundred miles to Damascus and find anybody who was following the way, the way of Jesus, and haul them back and incarcerate them and put them on trial in Jerusalem. Now, I'd like our focus in these just few minutes to be on calling. Acts 9 is really about calling. The calling of Saul or Paul and the calling of another man as well. Two people who are called to different and difficult ministries. Throughout all of the Bible, calling is a major thing. God calls people to be his instruments for his purpose in his world. Now, one of those in Acts 9 appears just for a moment. We never hear about him again. And this is the defining moment of his life. The other, Saul, is called to change the course of history. He impacts hundreds and hundreds of people in his day and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people throughout history right down to today. On the road to Damascus, Saul and his entourage are stopped by a light, a brilliant light. And Saul hears the word, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? To which he cries out, who are you, Lord? There's an instant understanding on Saul's part that behind the voice that he is hearing, And the light that shines in his eyes is a great power or a great person. And he wants to know who. And the answer comes, I am Jesus. Now imagine what that meant to Saul. Saul. He had dismissed Jesus as a trifling revolutionary. 
Now Jesus will revolutionize his life and our life forever. Saul had thought Jesus was simply a misguided prophet who gathered some uneducated hayseeds from Galilee, formed a pack of nobodies, and was so inept that he got caught in a conspiracy and crucified. And then afterwards, some unrefined, overzealous fishermen and a few hysterical women ran around saying he was alive. But that unlikely story turns out to be true. Jesus is alive. So Stephen, in his dying declaration, you can read it in Acts, looks to heaven and says, says he sees Jesus on the right hand of God. It wasn't blasphemy. It was sober, literal fact. From that moment on, this man, Saul, who will become Paul, had one great goal in his life, and that was to know the man behind the vision. So years later, as he writes his last letter to a church, the book of the letter of Philippians, he says in the third chapter, this is my goal, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, of his sufferings, if by any means I might be conformed unto the image of his death and thereby attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Jesus asked the question, So why are you persecuting me? And you're thinking of Saul could say, You? I'm not persecuting you. I'm just after these followers of what they're calling the way. Followers of, oh, followers of Jesus. And I... I'd like us just to pause and think about if Jesus were to encounter us in a living way today, maybe like Paul on the road or, you know, some other way, and ask us a question, if we get to hear it in our ears, would he ask us, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is really saying to Paul, to Saul, stop it. You're hurting me. Would Jesus say that to me? Stop it. You're hurting me. What is it in my life, about my life, what am I doing that hurts Jesus? Could it be that to hurt, to wound, To wrong, to slander a follower of Jesus is like persecuting Jesus himself. That's what Jesus is saying to Saul of Tarsus. Think about that. I I came across this quote long years ago, and I I forget where I even found it, but I've kept track of it through the years. Someone has written, Jesus has taken upon his body the wounds that we would deliver to another 
the wounds that we want to inflict upon another, Jesus has taken to himself. In Christ, I no longer have immediacy with anybody or anything. The blows and hostility I deliver must pass first through his heart before they reach my brother or sister. Stop it, Jesus says. You're hurting me. And then in verse 10, another is called. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And he hears the word that he is to go to the Saul, lay hands on him, and welcome him into the church. And we learn very quickly that he is scared. He wants nothing to do with this Saul of Tarsus. Lord, I've heard about this guy, and the havoc is raising. I mean, you you know why he's coming here to Damascus? He's got papers. He wants to arrest us all and haul us back and throw us into prison. It's interesting. God's response to that is not, oh, okay. You know, I, I didn't realize that you felt that strongly, that you'd rather not, you know, be, be around this guy at all. No. God's response is, go. Go. Not by your choice or your preference, but by my call on your life. So Saul will be called to a great consuming task that will consume the rest of his life. Ananias is called for one moment the defining moment of his life. We have those defining moments as well. In the wonderful, wonderful work of J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf says to Frodo, who has been called, and he's reluctant to accept the call, Gandalf says, but you have been chosen, and you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. You must go. You have been chosen. This sense of having been called and the worthiness of it, the glorious goodness of life lived beyond an individual's agenda, is a precious thing. It is sometimes subverted into grandiosity, and it decays often into narcissism. But perhaps this call is most often lost in the ministry of the mundane, that ordinary serial that comes day after day, the mundane and the tedious. But Gandalf says, you must go. God says to Ananias, you go. John Ortberg has written, sometimes in the quest, we get to visit the house of Elrod, the place of fellowship where there's unity and strength and plans are glorious and hope is fierce and hearts beat fast and it's just wonderful to be there. But you don't get to spend every day there. 
Much of ministry is slogging through Modar, the black volcanic plain southeast of Middle Earth, the home of the arch-villain Saran. So God says, I'm going to do something significant. And this is a turning point. I'm going to reach the Gentiles. Saul, you go. Ananias, who is screaming, wait, he wants to kill people like me. Yes, God says, I know he's a murderer and I know he came to your fair city to apprehend you, but I'm claiming him for my church. And you put hands on him. You are to be chairman of the assimilation committee. When God calls, calls us to do something, um, the initial response is often fear. And I would just say, if, if there is a challenge in front of you, a course of action that could cause you to grow, that would be helpful to people around you, but you find yourself scared about it, there's a real good chance that God is in that challenge. Ananias went. He obeyed. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Isn't that something? The first word that Saul the terrorist heard from the church that he was out to destroy was Brother Saul. Ananias made a terrorist his brother. He stood at the door and welcomed him in. I think of people in my life who have stood by the door and welcomed me in. I thank God for them. So we end with this question. Is there someone out there waiting for you to say, brother, sister, welcome. Come in to a place that God has prepared for you. Amen. We are blessed to be a blessing. As you give to the ministry of Mayflower, whether it's here in person, online, or via text, please know that you are critical, 
You are a critical part of spreading this blessing. Thank you.
Holy Lord, how honored we are to give back to you. May our gifts, tithes, and offerings be used to bring you glory and honor and praise. Amen. You may be seated. It's really a treat to read your prayer cards. It's just fun. Every time the usher comes, I think, oh, I don't know what's sitting out there, what you're What's on your heart? But it's really a joy to lift up our praises and petitions together. So why don't we do that now as we join our hearts in praying our congregational prayer. Holy God, we give you all the praise today for the breath in our lungs. We praise you for gifting us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. This exact spirit that intercedes for us with sighs and groans when we have no words. We praise you for this congregation and community of believers gathered in your name here and now. We praise you that we are brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ. We praise you today for new life and the birth of Iris Evangeline Huff, granddaughter of John and Jan Huff. We praise you for positive diagnoses, paths of healing, birthdays and anniversaries, that remind us of your faithfulness. We also praise you for opportunities and new experiences. We praise you that Kateri Scott's parents and 95-year-old grandmother are on an epic journey to Hawaii for four weeks. And as we hold out our praise, Lord, we also hold out to you our longings. We long for a world that is not marked by strife and confusion. Today, we pray for the country of Haiti and all her citizens who are struggling, as well as the 17 missionaries kidnapped and held captive. Oh, Lord, bring your justice, your peace, and your mercy now, we plea. We pray for the country of Lebanon and the financial and humanitarian crisis her people face. We pray for peace, for leadership, and for much-needed resources. And, Lord, we pray for Afghanistan and her people. We lift up to you those affected by the bombings and the violence. Oh, Lord, we pray specifically for women and girls whose opportunities are evaporating. Oh, Lord, bring change and hope to this part of the world. We pray for the other pockets of unrest and disease and war that plague our world. We need you. We need your mighty work of reconciliation reconciliation and restoration oh lord we lay all of this at your feet we also pray for our own country and our own community we pray for avenues of peace that diminish our polarization we pray for understanding for servant leadership we seek wisdom and today lord we pray for each other We lift up the Wickman family as they grieve the death of Ardith. May they find immense comfort. And we pray for Maris' friend Sue, whose son just passed away while in Russia serving as a teacher. We pray for peace and comfort for this family that is facing something so unknown and so grievous. And we lift up the Lark's friend Joe, who fell and is now paralyzed. His life is now very, very, very different, Lord, and we pray that you meet him in this tender place to show him that he is still beloved. He still has a purpose 
and hope in the future. As your spirit prays in and through us, we continue to invite your Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us. And it is in this spirit of you, the living God, that we join not only our hearts, but our voices together in the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Now may the God who calls us send us forth into our world. Is there someone that needs to hear welcome, brother? Welcome, sister. As you go, may the grace, mercy, may the peace and hope of God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord go with you all. Amen.